Today's date is April 5th, 2020. 2021? No. Okay. The Book of Revelation. This is the prologue, chapter 1. And you're reading from what? The NLT. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, and those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world who mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was on the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theratera, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Beautiful. So Revelation chapter one so we will go and do all the fine detail of that and i'm going to read a lot of a commentary from crossway classic commentary 26 volumes mm. it's a reformed commentary there's a lot of Calvin, John Calvin's commentary on here. 
and whatnot. So we're just gonna see what what we can dig up. All right? Mm -hmm. And as I read, I'll have you go back and read certain portions and things and whatnot. So this chapter, this first chapter is a general preface to the whole book. And it contains one, an inscription declaring its origin and purpose. That's verses one through two. Second, the apostolic blessing pronounced on all who take due notice of the contents of the book. That's verses three through eight. Third, a glorious vision or appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ to the apostle John when he gave him this revelation. That's verses nine through 20. So that's how it's broke down. All right. So let's look at verses one through two. And uh, once you read those again. Okay. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. And this is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here we have, number one, what we, what we may call the pedigree of the book. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not John's revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is true of the whole Bible, for all revelation comes through Christ. And all revelation centers on him especially in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's Hebrews 1, 2, which states, and now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance and through the son, he created the universe. So it's spoken to us by the son and it's about the son. Christ as the king of his church has been placed or pleased so far to let his church know by what rules and methods he will proceed in his government. Mm -hmm. As the prophet of the church, he has made known to us the things that will take place later on. I love that, Christ as the prophet of his church. Mm -hmm. Right? Once again, the church is you and I and those who are called out, right? It's not a building, not an organization. And that's why the Bible also says it's the Holy Spirit who tells us what is to come. That's right. And even this book later on says this, the spirit of prophecy is Christ. Mm-hmm. It is a revelation which God gave him, Christ. Through Christ, now Jesus Christ is himself God. And as such has light and life in himself, yet as he sustains the office of mediator between God and man, you can find that in 1 Timothy 2.5. Shall I read that? Mm-hmm. There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. 
okay? He receives his instructions from the Father. The human nature of Christ, though endowed with the greatest wisdom, judgment, and discernment, could not, through the process of reason, discover these great events, which not being produced by natural causes, could be the object only of divine presence, and must come to a created mind only by revelation. Our Lord Jesus is the great trustee of divine revelation. It is to him that we owe the knowledge we have of what we are to expect from God and what he expects from us. This revelation Christ has made known by sending his angel. Notice here the wonderful order of divine revelation. God gave it to Christ. Christ used an angel to communicate it to the churches. The angels are God's messengers. They are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. They are Christ's servants. Principalities and powers are subject to them. All the angels of God are obliged to worship him. The angels were sent to his servant, John. As the angels are messengers of Christ, the ministers are the messengers of the churches. What they receive from heaven, they are to communicate to the churches. John was the apostle chosen for this service. Some think he was the only apostle surviving at that time, the rest having sealed their testimony with their blood. This was to be the last book of divine revelation and was therefore given to the church by the last of the apostles. John was the beloved disciple. He was under the New Testament, like the prophet Daniel under the old, highly esteemed. He was Christ's servant. He was an apostle, an evangelist, and a prophet. He served Christ in all three extraordinary offices of the church. James was an apostle, but not a prophet or an evangelist. Matthew was an apostle and an evangelist, but not a prophet. Luke was an evangelist, but neither a prophet nor apostle. John was all three. So Christ calls him in an eminent sense his servant, John. I think that's pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. Some credibility there. John had to deliver this message to the church, to all Christ's servants, for the revelation was not just meant for Christ's special servants, his ministers, but for all his servants, the members of the church. They all have right to this message of God and all have a concerned interest in them. Here we have the subject matter of the revelation, namely the things that must soon take place. The evangelist give an account of the things that have already happened. Prophecy gives us an account of things to come. These future events are shown not in the clearest light in which God could have set them, but in such a light as he saw most fit and that would best serve his wise and holy purposes. Had they been as clearly foretold in all their circumstances as God could have revealed them, the prediction might have prevented their being accomplished. But they were foretold more darkly to instill us a deep respect for the scriptures and to engage our attention and excite our inquiry. We have in this revelation a general idea about the methods of divine providence and government in and about the church. And many good lessons can be learned here these events, it is said, were such as must definitely take place and must soon take place. That is, they would begin to take place very soon and that they would all take place in a short time. For now, the last ages of the world had arrived. Right? Because you remember after the resurrection of Christ, that was the last age in the days. Mm -hmm. There was no more <clears throat> other ages that were going to come. 
So we've been in the last days since since then. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at that, you remember that one time we did the seven thousand year. Yeah. Sometimes they're called the six thousand year. You know, theory. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the Book of Barnabas or mm -hmm. Clement. I forget now. We did one. I know Enoch talks about it a long time ago, but um, how God made the earth in six six days and on the seventh he, he rested. And it's all over the Bible that six, seven, you know, six, seven. And that there was 6,000 years. And then come the seventh would be you know, a day, uh, a thousand year of rest, a millennial rest, basically. So if you look at the big scheme of things of ages going for 6,000 years, the last 2,000 or 1,900 that we've been in, in fact, would be a short time. I'm just saying. Uh, here's an attestation of the prophecy in verse 2 it was shown to John who testifies to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and of everything he saw it can be observed that the historical books of the Old Testament do not always have the name of the writers attached to them like um, the book of Judges 1 and 2 Kings 1st and 2nd Chronicles but the prophetic books always have the name of the prophets attached to them uh, the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc. It is the same in the New Testament. John does not have his name written in the first letter, but he does in this prophecy so that he is prepared to vouch for it and stand up for its truth. He does not just give his name, but he adds his office. He witnessed to the word of God in general, and he bore witness to Jesus Christ in particular, and to everything that he saw, he was an eyewitness and did not conceal anything he saw. Nothing recorded in this vision was his own invention or from his own imagination. Mm -hmm. It was all the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He neither added anything to it nor kept back any part of God's counsels. Okay? So now we'll go read verses 3 through 8 and then um, read, read the commentary on that. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. And I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. We have here an apostolic blessing on those who give due respect to this divine revelation. 
This blessing is given both in a general way and a very specific way. First, number uno. The general way this blessing is given refers to all who either read or hear the words of the prophecy. This blessing seems to be pronounced with the purpose of encouraging us to study this book and not to become tired of looking into it just because it contains many things that are obscure. Mm. It will repay the effort of the careful and attentive reader. Notice that A, it is a blessed privilege to enjoy the words of God. This was one of the principal advantages of the Jews had over the Gentiles. B, it is a blessed thing to study the scriptures. Those who search the scriptures are spending their time well, especially now in lockdown, right? C, it is a privilege not only to read the scriptures ourselves, but to hear them read by others who are qualified to give us their meaning and to help us understand them. D, we are not blessed if we just read and hear the scriptures. We must take to heart, that's in verse three, what is written in them we must keep them in our memories, in our minds, in our affections, and in our practice. Then we will be blessed indeed. What does verse 3 say, Jerry? Uh, verse 3 says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he, is, he blesses all who listen to its message and obeys what it says, for the time is near. Mm-hmm. Be doers of the word, not just hearers, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and E, the nearer we come to doing what the scriptures say, the more we will study them. The time is near. And you just read that in verse 3. The time is near. And we should be even more attentive to the scriptures as we see the day of our Lord approaching. So really we should, what's that thing that they watch on Netflix now? Something about a tiger? Yeah. The Tigger. I mean, there's, <laughs> I well, we heard at least one mega church pastor say that his whole staff yeah, is, like, is is addicted to it. Is addicted to this uh, Tigger thing, Tigger King, Tiger King, something like yeah, that. Right. It's on Netflix. Uh, Miss Capel and I don't have Netflix. We got rid of it years ago as it got real dark. Yeah. Um, but um, I've seen that um, over and over again. Uh, Tiger King or Tigger. So I don't know. So anyway, when he said that, it was kind of surprising that he said his whole church staff, and I think he has a staff of about 80 because mm -hmm. it's a big church. That's what you're doing? <laughs> what, you're hunkered down? And the world's falling apart and you can't have church, you're, you're watching Tiger King? Man, that's up to you, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna get what you plant. Um, so let's go to, uh, Point number two, because that was all under point number one. Point number two is that the apostolic blessing is pronounced especially and particularly to the seven churches in the providence of Asia. That's in verse four that you read. You read the, the seven churches. These seven churches are named in verse 11, and you read them out. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'll read them again. Specific messages are sent to each of them as, uh, as, is, re, as is 
recorded in chapters two through three. So we'll get on that at a later date. The apostles' blessing is more specifically directed to these churches as they were nearest to him since he has now um, he's now been on the island of Patmos. He may have been looking after them with some of the other apostles, if any of them were still alive, because we observe here that a, what the blessing is that he pronounces on all the faithful in these churches is this grace and peace. Holiness and comfort. Grace is God's goodwill towards us and his good work in us. Peace is the sweet evidence and assurance of this grace. <laughs> there could be no true peace when there is no true grace. And where grace is, peace will follow. That's important, especially nowadays, right now, huh? Mm -hmm. B, note where this blessing comes from. In whose name does the apostle bless the churches? In the name of God and of the whole Trinity. For this is an act of adoration, and God only is the proper object of it. His ministers must bless the people in God's name and only in his name. One, the Father is named first. God the Father may be taken either essentially for God as God or personally. For the first person in the ever-blessed Trinity, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is described as a Jehovah who is and who was and who is to come. He is eternal. He's unchanging. What does that mean, Ms. Capel? Immutable. Immutable. He doesn't mutate. Nope. No mutating there. He is eternal, unchanging, the same to the Old Testament church that was and to the New Testament church that is. And he will be the same to the church triumphant that is to come. Mm -hmm. That's a high view of God. Right there in the first opening statements of the book of Revelation, you see the sovereignty and the full glory of God in that. It's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Two. The Holy Spirit is called the seven spirits in verse four. This does not mean seven in number or in nature, but indicates the infinite perfect spirit of God in whom there is a diversity of gifts and workings. He is before his throne for as God made, so he governs all things by his spirit. Three. The Lord Jesus Christ, John mentions him after the spirit because he intended to expand upon the person of Christ as God revealed in the flesh, whom he had been living on earth before and now saw him again in a glorious form. Um, in verse 5, I'll have you read that again. Notice the special account we have here of Jesus Christ. And from, okay, well, let me read the number 4 first. Okay. It says, grace and peace for, um, to you from the one who is, who, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne. And, this is verse 5, from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. First, he is the faithful witness. He was from eternity a witness to all the counsels of God. No one has ever seen God. But God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. 
In John 1.18, we read, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So talking about Christ, he was in time a faithful witness to the revealed will of God, who in these last days has spoken to us by his Son. We may safely rely on the testimony, for he is the faithful witness. He cannot be deceived and cannot deceive us. Second, he is the firstborn from the dead, Mm -hmm. or the first parent and head of the resurrection. The only one who raised himself by his own power and who will by the same power raise up his people from their graves to everlasting honor. He has given birth to them a second time unto a living hope through his resurrection from the dead. Third, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Earthly kings derive their authority from Christ and through him, their power is limited and their anger restrained. Through Christ, their counsels are overruled and they are accountable to him. This is the good news brought to the church and it is clear evidence of the Godhead of Christ who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Mm -hmm. Revelation 17, 14 says, together they will go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of all Lords and King of all Kings and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Fourth, he is the great friend of his church and people. He has done great things for them out of pure affection. He has loved them and pursuing this everlasting love, he has freed us from our sins by his blood. Mm-hmm. Sin leaves a stain upon the soul, a stain of guilt and pollution. Only Christ's blood can remove this stain. Christ was willing to shed his own blood to purchase pardon and purity for us. Christ has also made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. <clears throat> Having justified and sanctified us, he makes us kings to serve his father. That is, his father's account with his approbation and for his glory. As kings, his people overcome the world, mortify sin, govern their own spirits, conquer Satan, have power and prevalence with God in prayer and will judge the world. Now he's made us priests, his people priests, and has given them access to God, enabling them to enter into the holiest place and offer spiritual and acceptable sacrifices. He has anointed them for his work and because of these, high honors and favors, they are bound to give him dominion and glory forever. Fifth, Christ will judge the world. I love this. Look, he is coming Mm. with the clouds and every eye will see him. This book, Revelation, begins and ends with the prediction of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should set ourselves to meditate frequently on the second coming of Christ and keep it in the eye of our faith and expectation. John speaks as if he saw that day. He says, look, he is coming. As definitely as if he saw Christ with his own eyes. He's coming with the clouds like a chariot. Christ's appearance will be public. Every eye will see him. The eye of his people, the eye of his enemies, every eye, yours and mine, will see Christ, even those who pierced him. His coming will bring terror to those who pierced him and have not repented. And to all who have wounded and crucified him afresh by their apostasy of him, Okay. That's in Hebrews. That's in Hebrews. It is, which says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, 
if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. We've done studies on that. Did we publish those studies? Yeah, I think we did. I think, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did do Kapow shows on those studies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We need more coffee. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll keep reading. Oh. All the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. Christ will come to the astonishment of the pagan world, for Christ comes to take vengeance on those who do not know God as well as on those who do not obey the gospel of Christ. Mm. Mm. Okay, sixth. This account of Christ is ratified and confirmed by himself. He says, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who was to come, the Almighty. Here our Lord Jesus justly claims the same honor and power that is ascribed to the Father in verse 4. I am the Alpha and Omega. Christ is the beginning and the end. All things are from him and for him. He is the Almighty. He is the eternal and unchanged one. Surely, whoever presumes to blot out one character of his name, of Christ, deserves his name blotted out of the book of life. Those who honor Christ, Christ will honor. But those who despise him will be lightly esteemed. Mm. All right, that brings us to verses 9 through 20. Okay. And um, let me read that. Yeah, we can go for that. I, John, am your brother and your partner in the suffering and God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, Write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man, and he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his hand, right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the one living. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Recently, spiritual attacks on innocent people have increased considerably. This is partly due to society's transformation into a satanic cult. Most people are clueless or hopeless in combating this spiritual mayhem. We wish to offer two good books to overcome these attacks. First, Demons in My Marriage Bed, a true story of spiritual warfare offers one of the most effective training systems in combating spiritual darkness in order to gain personal freedom. Second, Eyes to See Unseen Enemies teaches how to see the hidden dangers which are all around us, even in places we would least expect them. Both books can be purchased on Amazon.com as a paperback or ebook. It is our desire that you will take advantage of these opportunities to increase your effectiveness in spiritual warfare and learn how to fight back instead of being a victim. We'll see you on the battlefield.
We now come to that glorious vision that the apostle had of the Lord Jesus Christ when Christ came to deliver this revelation to him. Okay, here's what we're going to observe. Number one, the account given of the person who was favored with this vision, he describes himself. He describes himself by subsection A here, by his present state and condition. I, John, your brother and companion, mm-hmm. right? In the suffering and kingdom. Notice the word suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you read that? Um, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. Yeah. And uh, he's on the land of island of Patmos. Mm-hmm. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's interesting that you did point that out. Notice the word suffering. And patient endurance. Patient endurance. Suffering brings that endurance. Yeah, you have to endure. I know we did shows on this on how you, you, you have to go through this crap to build up. Right now, with everything that's going on, I mean, it's like... Uh, I know there's many people probably wish they already had some some endurance built up because this is tough, you know. We were talking about this that this morning. If we didn't have God, if you felt that you didn't have the presence of God, just how lost you know you'd be, you know. But yeah, so he's he's. Our brethren and the suffering in the kingdom. Uh, he was your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. He was at this time, John, as the rest of the true Christians were, a persecuted man, banished and perhaps in prison for his adherence to Christ. He was their brother, though an apostle. He seems to value his relationship to the church more than his authority in it. I, I, that's mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's amazing, especially when you see these uh, these shepherds today. Yeah, they value their authority, especially in getting your money, mm-hmm. rather than being part of it. Judas was one of the twelve, but not a brother in the family of God. God's children should seek fellowship and companionship with each other. And John was a companion in suffering. God's persecuted servants do not suffer alone. Similar trials befall other people. You should find that, huh? Right? Yep. John was their companion in patient endurance. Be not only a sharer with them in suffering circumstances, but in suffering graces. If we have the patience of the saints, we should not complain when we meet with their trials. John was their brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. John was a sufferer for Christ's cause for asserting Christ's kingly power over the church and the world and for adhering to it against all who would absorb it. In this account, John gives details about his present state, acknowledges that he sympathizes with other believers, endeavors to give them counsel and comfort, and encourages their more careful attention to what he had to say to them from Christ, their common Lord. Subsection B. By the place where he was when he was favored with this vision. He was on the island of Patmos. John does not say who banished him there. It becomes Christian, uh, it becomes Christians to speak sparingly and modestly about their own sufferings. Patmos is an island in the Aegean Sea, one of the Cyclades, and was about 35 miles in width. But under this confinement, it was the apostle's comfort that he did not suffer as an evildoer, but because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And I lost my place. place. Because I had to check on the recording. And when I checked on the recording, I flipped my phone. And when I and when I flipped it back, uh, I had lost it. But that's okay. I can find it. Of course you can. I can. But it is interesting, though, that um, you know the way that we've been doing studies on suffering and the endurance, you know to the word of God. That's right. Our endurance through our suffering. And then here we're reading Revelation. And uh, it's all about the suffering and patient endurance mm-hmm. from Jesus who, mm. who called us. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. I know, huh? That all just ties in. Okay, so... So he was um, under confinement... But it was covered that he did not suffer as an evildoer, but because of the testimony of Jesus. For bearing witness to Christ as Emmanuel, the Savior, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was a cause we're suffering for, and the spirit of glory and God rested on this persecuted apostle. That's for sure. Ah. Little coffee. Mm-hmm. Subsection, subsection C. The day and time in which he had this vision, it was on the Lord's day. My personal opinion is, I think he was seeing the Lord's day, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, yeah. Uh, a lot of commentaries think it was the Lord's day, like Sunday. Yeah. So, but my that's just Paul. That's my personal opinion. I think when it says he was, he was. Uh, on the Lord's day that he was seeing the day of the Lord. Yeah, because he was, was worshiping in. in the spirit. Yeah. So it would be easy to be taken. To yeah, to, to, to see what was happening. Yeah. So he was, like you said, taken in the spirit. He was in the spirit. That's in verse 10. He was not only in rapture when he received the vision, but before he received it. He was in a serious heavenly spiritual frame of mind and soul under the blessed, gracious influences of the Spirit of God. God usually prepares the souls of the people for uncommon manifestations of himself by the quickening, sanctifying influences of his good spirit. Those who want to enjoy fellowship with God on the Lord's day uh, must endeavor to remove their thoughts and affections from the flesh and fleshly things. And uh, be wholly taken up with spiritual things in nature. Number two, the apostle gives an account of what he heard when he was in the spirit. Uh, he said that he heard a loud voice behind him, like a trumpet, mm-hmm. which said, write on a scroll what you see and then send it to the seven churches. So an alarm was given as with the sound of a trumpet. He heard a loud voice. The voice of Christ applying to himself the character mentioned before, the Alpha and the Omega. And commanding the apostle to write down the things that were now revealed to him and to send it immediately to the seven churches of Asia. You know, that's interesting when you think about that. When you think about Christ in the flesh. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, even at that one point where he says, there's so much I want to tell you, but you can't bear it, you know. And because he was living as a man and with a finite uh, brain and finite body at the time, but after his resurrection, and God reveals to him mm-hmm. everything that he now he reveals it uh, John. to John through, his through his yeah. So that's pretty that's pretty heavy stuff mm-hmm. when you. Um, when you think about it, so no wonder we can't understand it. Yeah. You know, no wonder we can't get our head around it. Yeah, and the only one that can reveal these things to you is his spirit. Yeah, that's absolutely, yeah, you just can't do it uh, humanly. So, um, it was the seven churches of Asia, and we went over those, who, who those were. Mm-hmm. Thus our Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation, gave the apostle notice of his glorious appearance as with the sound of a trumpet. Uh, Point number three, we now have an account of what he saw. 
He says he turned around to see the voice. Um, and when he turned, he saw seven golden lampstands. That's in verse 12. Mm-hmm. So he turned around to see the voice. Whose it was and where it came from. And then a wonderful vision opened up to him. And in this vision, subsection A, he saw a representation of the church under the emblem of seven golden lampstands. And these lampstands are explained in verse 20. The mystery of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the churches are compared to lampstands because they uphold the light of the gospel so effectively. The churches are not the candles. Christ alone is our light. It's an important distinction. I like that. The churches are not the candles. Christ is the light and his gospel or lamp. But they receive their light from Christ and the gospel and hold it up so others can see it. They are golden lampstands, for they should be precious and pure like fine gold. Not only the ministers, but the members of the churches should be like this. We should all be like this. Their light should shine before men so that other people will give glory to God. In Matthew 5, 16, it says, let your, shine, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Subsection B, he saw a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the middle of the golden lampstands. Um, could you read that, verses 13 through 16? I can. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire, and his feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like a mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Amen. Christ had promised to be with his churches always to the end of the world. Surely I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Once again, the churches, I need to clarify that, are you and I, the people who follow Christ, not a building or an organization. Okay? Filling them with light and life and love, for he brings the church to life as he is the soul of the church. Here we may observe the glorious form in which Christ appeared in several particulars. First, he was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. Verse 13. Uh, This was a princely and priestly robe denoting righteousness and honor. Second, he was dressed with a golden sash around his chest. Verse 13. The high priest's breastplate on which the names of Christ's people were engraved was already being worn in readiness to do all the work of a redeemer. Wow. Third, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. That's in verse 14. So he was the ancient of days. In Daniel 7, 9, it reads, Thrones were set up in place, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white, white like wool. His white hair was not an indication of decay, but a crown of glory. Fourth, his eyes were blazing fire, piercing the hearts and consciences of men, scattering terror among adversaries. Fifth, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His feet were strong and steadfast, supporting his own interests, subduing his enemies and grinding them to powder. Sixth, his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. His voice was like many rivers converging. He can and will make himself heard to those who are far away as well as to those who are nearby. His gospel is a mighty stream fed by the highest springs of wisdom and knowledge. Seventh, in his right hand, he held seven stars. 
The ministers of the seven churches who are under his direction derive all their light and influence from him and are secured and preserved by him. Eight, out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His word, which both wounds and heals, strikes at the sins on the right hand and on the left. Ninth, his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. The brightness of his shining was too strong and dazzling for mortal eyes to behold. The impression this appearance of Christ made on the apostle John. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John was overcome with the greatness and luster and glory in which Christ appeared. Though he had been so well acquainted with him before, how good it is for us that God speaks to us through men like ourselves whose appearances do not frighten us, for no one can see God's face and live. Mm -hmm. The condescending goodness of the Lord to his disciples. Uh, Read verses 17 and 18, please. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. When Christ placed his right hand on John, he raised him up. He did not plead against him with great power, but put strength into him and spoke kind words to him. These words gave comfort and encouragement. Ain't that nice? Mm-hmm. He was kind to him, spoke nice to him. He didn't, ah, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. He says, do not be afraid. Christ banished the slavish fears of his disciples. These words were also words of instruction as they told John the nature of the person who was appearing to him. Here Christ acquaints John with the aspects of his being. First with his divine nature. I am the first and the last. Second, with his previous sufferings, I was dead. The same suffering that Christ's apostle saw when he died on the cross for the sins of mankind. Third, with his resurrection, he says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Mm. There's a lot there, huh? Mm-hmm. Having conquered death and opened the grave, Christ lives an everlasting life. Fourth, with his office and authority, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Verse 18. Christ rules over the invisible world, opening doors that no one can shut and shutting doors that no one can open. He opens the gates of death as he pleases and the gates of the eternal world of happiness or misery as the judge of everyone against whose sentence there is no appeal. Fifth, with his will and pleasure that John would write about the things he had seen, And the things that are and the things that will take place, he says, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place. Six, with the meaning of the seven stars, he says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To whom Christ now sends through John, particular and relevant messages. And that takes us to the end of chapter one and to the beginning of chapter two, where, Lord willing, we can read this next week and go through the particular and relevant messages that were given to those seven churches. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The thing I find... Incredibly interesting is that in in this introductory chapter, you just find like you know so much of 
of the sovereignty and, and eternal glory of, of God mm-hmm. through Christ in this and his, his appearance. And just, I mean, it's, it's, it's heavy, just, just that first chapter, just that, just that conversation with the voice that sounded like a trumpet. Mm-hmm. You know, I am the first, I am the last, I'm the Alpha Omega. I mean, this is heavy stuff. I'm God, I'm talking to you. I'm about to show you what's, what's going to happen in these last times. And a lot of those adjectives that they, he used for himself is also used for the Father because yeah. he is also known as the Ancient of Days, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the book opens up with the Father saying, mm-hmm. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the First, you know, same. Same language, same, same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, attributes. Yeah. I mean, the Father are one. Quite incredible. Yeah. And, and like normal, I mean, you read this, and when you're really, really trying to understand it, you find that you're, well, I find it difficult to get my yeah. brain around it. Yeah. Even even going through the Crossway commentary, mm-hmm. it, that's why I like that comment. It's really balanced. You know, it didn't get all crazy. This is what it means, and, you know, spaceships. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's as balanced as it could be, and it focuses on the glory of God in Christ, not the sensational nonsense, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, but who God is, who Christ is. Yeah. And that he's... God the Father, Christ Jesus. Yeah, and that and that he's showing you uh, what is soon to come, if you can so see it. So see it. Yeah. it, yeah. You know, like I, I've always said, I think the book of Revelation, as you get closer to the to the end, more and more uh, would be shown to you. You know, you'll understand more and more things as you as you see those things. So that's what I'm kind of hoping uh, for. Kind of go through the Book of Revelation with this, with the help of of a balanced commentary, and kind of see, mm-hmm. you know, what the Lord the Lord's message is for all of us. You know, if nothing else, at this point, you just see the huge majesty and glory of the deity which we serve and who loves us. And the importance of uh, keeping your ears open. Yeah. To the right stuff. To reading well, yeah. the word and the scripture. I love it where John fell dead and he comforted him with kind words. Don't be afraid. You know, he didn't. Hey, rah, 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 you know, just... Mm-hmm. He's like, I understand why you fell dead. You know, it's, it's some heavy stuff, but I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Right? Right. Anything else? We'll meditate and ponder on this. Yeah, that's for right. sure. All right.